Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. We're here for another episode of Film Study. Uh, today we're joined by Alec Pulianis. I'm sorry, Alec Pulianis from Ravens Recap. Uh, Alec, nice to have you. Tell us a little bit about your work. Thanks, Ken. Well, I've been watching football since the 1999 playoffs, which is a perfect time for a young Ravens fan to get into the game because then I got to see the first Super Bowl that we won uh, in 2000 and get the route along and see that dominant defense. And, you know, I've just been a fan, watching them closely ever since. But this season, we started a podcast with me and my friends. We've been having these conversations for years almost a decade now but now we're putting it to film and although we're starting to get into film study ourselves uh, the big thing right now is just we want to bring the magic of baltimore to people who don't live here right now it's a really cool time to watch the ravens and we just want to you know share and be a part of the magic yeah it's a great point is that there will probably never be another offensive season as great as what the ravens are doing right now and i know lamar's 22 he can quote-unquote, only get better. 
But the truth <laughs> of the matter is, he'll get better in some ways, and he'll be not as good in other ways, and he'll be maybe injured at times during what we hope is a very long career. But he's been healthy and outstanding and fast and all the things that make him great this year. And I hope Ravens fans really appreciate it because it's a historic offensive season for the National Football League. Yeah, we're not used to this. It's amazing. We gush about it every week on Ravens Recap, and we just we absolutely love watching it. Yeah, well, the, the, if you go back, uh, the the Baltimore has not really had the hot young quarterback in the in the league since Burt Jones in the 1970s, and I grew up with that. That would, those were my early years of of my football youth. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was something really special to to have that. Didn't really appreciate it at the time. I much more have that historical context of, you know, a long time with a good quarterback that, that was never quite at the greatest level, but could still win you games. Now we've got a great quarterback who can do it all by himself, you know, mm-hmm. frankly, a lot of the time. So it's a it's a special thing. It's a special time. And and you don't get to have that guy for very long. I mean, ask the Chiefs fans from last year. They have had Patrick Mahomes and he seemed like he'd be the dominant guy for a decade. And in just a year, his uh, his title has been taken away pretty decisively by Lamar. Not that he won't ever be the best quarterback again, but he'll have competition now for uh, you know for quite a while. All right, well, let's uh, talk about some things. This is an interesting game. Obviously, the the offense had trouble putting up points for a long time. Twenty eight minutes without scoring, then about as dominating a fourteen point two minute, actually about a minute and fifty. To end that first half, as you'll see, maybe we'll call it 209 from that from the beginning of that third and one play when they took uh, Hunt down for a loss of eight. Don't see that too often. No, we were joking that the plane must have landed a little late because, man, once they got locked and loaded, 31 points in just over 31 minutes was awesome. I'll tell you when the turnover happened on the second drive. And I saw Lamar on the sidelines, laser focused and upset, like clearly upset. I was like, uh, he's he's about to bring it to him now. You know, he just that's the thing I love about him. He's such a fighter, such a competitor. And you never felt, at least in my opinion, you never felt in that game it wasn't going to happen. The spark was eventually going to happen. The offense was going to start clicking. And once it does, that train typically never stops. Yeah, it does show you some of the fragility of this, I'll say, because this game reminded me very much for 28 minutes, like exactly what happened in last year's playoff game against the Chargers, is that they had had fumbling problems in particular that were slowing them down. They had penalties as well, but, but fumbling problems. And those fumbling problems are kind of a result of the success of the read option. So obviously the read option, one of the things they do is they don't block an edge defender. They let him into the backfield. And on the first occasion, they allowed, who's the guy on that side, Gustin? Uh, they allowed him and on the right side into the backfield. Uh, we had a down block from uh, Orlando Brown on the right side. Then he moved into level two to make his make his block there. But the ball was on the ground all of a sudden, and Gustin mm-hmm. was free to leap on it. Now, if, you, if you're blocking players, your, offensive, your offense has a better chance to recover that fumble. So one of the precepts of the read option, or one of the uh, prerequisites, I should say, of the read option is you've got to be extremely careful with the football. You can't allow that football to come free, or you're going to have free guys in the backfield with a chance to pounce on the, on the ball. It's almost like it's more like a strip sack. When you have a fumble, when it when it when it allowed, and then it happened again because right. when they allowed Richardson into the backfield later, 
he was able to, there wasn't a fumble on their own, but he was able to knock the ball loose from Edwards on a run in the middle and, uh, you know, showed just some of that fragility. In addition to that, the scripted plays did not work as well as they had uh, in past weeks. Normally that's been the Roman staple Mm -hmm. as you get great scripted plays. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely playing with fire when you pull the ball out at the last moment in the read option. It does afford you where you basically get to pause the defender. It's like watching your TV hit the pause button. You see him stop for a second many times, but it is an, um, a side effect. Yeah. And you know you know what it looks like to me? And you probably watch some film in slow motion where you can get it down to a 30th of a second on a CBS game because yeah. it's, it's 1080 or, or a 60th of a second on a Fox game. But I almost imagine that's what the read option looks like Lamar. He's He's got the game effectively on <laughs> pause, and then he's using that fast-forward button to go ahead one click at a time until he's got the opponent's leverage <laughs> set up just perfectly in the mesh. And then he says, whoop, and goes off and uh, takes the ball and runs around the end for a 15-yard gain. Uh, just it's his ability to read and his ability to react so quickly to what's going on. Read the opponent leverage, though, is just at a different level than other humans. It's 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 amazing. All right. Uh, one thing came out this week I wanted to make sure we got to talk about here. Uh, Mark Andrews was running in space and obviously the first TD it was a blown assignment. It looked like Demarius Randall was the guy, but it was a combination of things happening. Uh, we might talk about some of that later, but I want to talk first about about just Kitchens' discussion of what he wanted wants to be in terms of a game planner. And this was just it was just one of the most interesting statements that I can recall somebody making. Let me just make sure I can get to this point. Do you recall you recall what I'm talking about? Because I might have trouble finding this. I'm going to no. Them. I was excited to see what this is about. Okay, so. Oh, don't make this difficult for me. Here you go. Okay. So Kitchen said, we don't draw up plays to beat the other team. We play football. That's what we want to be. I can't get more clear than that. I think you know that about me. There's a lot of pronouns in this. We want to be a football team. We don't want to be the designer of plays. Unbelievable, frankly, <laughs> coming from an NFL head coach that, that that sort of thing would occur. Um, Bill Belichick was was interviewed as part of the NFL 100 thing, and obviously he's the greatest coach of all time. Uh, but or you know among the greatest coaches of all time at the very least, no matter who you like in terms of Lombardi or whatnot. But in his previous interview, he said, "I always posted something from Sun Tzu's Art of War in the locker room that every battle is won before it is fought. You have to know the what the opponents can do, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and what to do in every situation." It's definitely a matchup of strengths and weaknesses from Belichick's point of view. And a we don't want to be the designer of plays. We just want to play with our own strengths, I suppose. <laughs> right. From Freddie Kitchens. Well, that's clearly working really great for him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's remarkable for him to say. You know, I was thinking about it on the way home today. The thing that's wild about Belichick, for instance, is that he always adapts his team for who he's about to play, just like you said. And that's how we saw the Rams get totally dismantled in the Super Bowl last year. He, they, they did something different that they thought would work and be effective. And I think it's uh, pretty clear you can't just run in, as the Kitchens is, is describing, and just play your type of ball every time and it's going to work out. People catch on to that, and it's honestly just 
I don't know. When when football is your job, I feel like you want to do a little bit more planning than that. I don't know. It's it, it's a really off-putting comment. Or just at least hint that you might have to do. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, well, no, my job is much more complicated than that. We game plan for days. It's, well, <laughs> really? Okay. Wait, uh, m- multiple things come to mind about this, but it's the one lingering fear I have about the New England Patriots is how they will adapt to losing to the Ravens already. And to some of the weaknesses they've seen in their own defenses is they may find a way to cover up what they're weak at or to attack other weaknesses they've seen in the Ravens. Obviously, what they did the first time didn't didn't work in terms of beating Lamar. They they maybe came into Baltimore a little overconfident, having played a you know unbelievable first half of the season, frankly, on defense. And those things couldn't work, and they got run out of the house, frankly. And and their vaunted no huddle on offense couldn't be couldn't get it going in Baltimore. They had, they had some strings of plays, but frankly. If you have a string of five-yard plays and then you have a turnover mixed in there, it doesn't. That's not the no huddle working. And, and the Ravens are able to very efficiently adapt to what the Patriots were doing. But that's my only lingering fear about them. Nothing about their players is particularly scary, frankly. It's all yeah. about Belichick. Agreed. And honestly, Ken, I feel like this year the Ravens have been remarkable at adjusting at halftime. Yes, absolutely. I, I, we haven't seen like the thing that's crazy about. Harbaugh is I feel like he's really progressed as a coach I never was calling for his head personally but I know many were and I don't know how you can't help but be excited about who's running the game right now between him and his coordinators both fantastic we're probably gonna lose them both um I mean they're just doing amazing work week yeah, in they, particular yeah they're, they're doing it all and and you speaking of adjustments in particular because we know Harbaugh in terms of game management has adjusted his own game to another level based on this quarterback and I think he's entrusted more his headset elves in terms of mm-hmm. who's when they're going to go for it when they're going to go for two etc cetera, etc cetera. but the, but the other big thing wink as you mentioned he's basically playing defense in the way that is not his first choice obviously in the second half of a lot of these games the big one in this change was was going to the big nickel after halftime now they they'd more or less stop the run in the first half and then they had a three-play series in the beginning of the second half where the Browns got 30 yards on three carries. Very first three plays of the second half, they ran for 7, 12, and 11. That was 30 of Chubb's 45 yards on the day and 30 of the 50 yards they got running the football. Anyway, after the second of those plays, which was out of a standard nickel, okay, and the Ravens have not had good success stopping the run in a standard nickel. We could talk about this, and we did talk about a lot on the defense. I don't want to go too much into it tonight. But the Ravens, with two down linemen, two outside linebackers, and two inside linebackers, historically have been unbelievably good at stopping the run from 11 personnel. They were not able to do it again. It's not the first time. It's happened a lot this season. They were not able to do it against the, the Browns in this game. And they, sh- they switched. Beginning the third play of that third quarter, which also went for 11 yards, by the way, so they didn't work right away. They switched to the 3-3-5 nickel, which uses an extra down lineman, puts that in the game in place of your th- your second inside linebacker. So you only play with one inside linebacker, but you keep your nickel personnel against the three receivers. Anyway, that change has been something they have done every time they've needed it. They've ratcheted up pressure at halftime, but but I mean, there's very specific adjustments to personnel and to coverages and to pass rush that you could point to that they've made changes game after game after game. And I, I just, I've never seen 
coordinators that adapt better than these two. And Martindale, I, I would agree with you. I give more of the credit for halftime adjustments. Oh, all right. Uh, well, ready to move on then, I guess. Uh, let's see. Let's talk Lamar Jackson. We can't seem to talk enough about him. <laughs> uh, still taking a few too many big hits for my uh, uh, liking, particularly in a game like this that, that appeared to be one for much of the second half. After the, I thought they after they had the first score, largely the game was won. Pittsburgh mm-hmm. was playing on a faint prayer of a hope to get back into it from two scores down. And in particular, the play by the right sideline where he seemed to want to orchestrate the block from Boyle was a, a risk too big to take for his own health. Yeah, that was exactly the play we all looked at and, and spoke about in our show. We, you don't want to see that. It's much better for him to go out of bounds. Now, I will say, I'm curious, I know you watch a lot of films, so this is probably not new to you, but I haven't heard many people talking about it, is that Lamar runs a lot different this year than he did last year. Mm-hmm. If you watched the film last year, I mean, he looked a lot faster because he was just running as quick as he could in mostly straight lines. It seems now that he is taking a second to compose the run, you know, mapping it out almost. And every once in a while, I think he gets a little, he gets, he wants too much more, um, more yardage. And he does take those hits, like you said. Yeah, the number of times he gets up after a 10, 15, or even 30-yard run and just slams the football into his hand, obviously upset with himself for not getting the last yard or the last 10 yards, maybe, whichever it is, <laughs> yeah. uh, it is really something. I think he's been much more judicious this season in terms of running out of bounds to avoid hits. And I think the last game, he had a, a, a longer—not not against the Browns. He had a long run up the left sideline, I guess it was the Jets, and then kind of— Dodged laterally out of bounds. It was one of the f- very first runs of the game. Mm-hmm. And I, don't know if, I don't know if you remember it, but it was it was a different Lamar. The Lamar of 2018 would have taken that hit, gotten two extra yards on the play, and you know we'd have been unhappy about that. But uh, but I think he's been very judicious, and I'm actually working on a study right now to look at Lamar's hits and try and categorize those for the entire season. We're going to have that mm-hmm. between the, um, uh, the last regular season game and the first game of the playoffs during that bye week. So hopefully we'll be talking about that. The other thing that kind of grinded my gears was that very last possession where we were just icing the game, and you saw Lamar take the run uh, on the 10th drive just after that 8th drive where everyone just (laughs) fell apart and uh, everyone started getting injured. So I I don't know why he was running there. I know he got the first down. That was great, but it it felt unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. All all the late runs— Frankly, I'd have been happy if they had RG3 in a little bit early. They don't do it uh, when the game's, quote-unquote, still in doubt. But I didn't think the game was in doubt. I think you just give it RG3 the reins at that point. And, that, you know, a, a fairly bitter physical rivalry. I mean, we already had a case where Sheldon Richardson had been flagged a couple times during the game. Yeah. For, for uh, You don't want a, a rivalry game like that all of a sudden to become a violent game or an injury game. And and I know most of the Ravens injuries had nothing to do with the Browns. You know, they had the Ingram thing that didn't appear mm-hmm. to have anything to do with the Browns and Andrews, you know, all normal stuff. But uh, But you don't want it to become anyway some extra chippy violence to all of a sudden ruin the season. Absolutely. All right, so Jackson in this one, ATS on 10 of 31 dropbacks. He actually had a little bit less ample time and space than Mayfield did in this game. Um, so so not, not what you would hope. 
Uh, I know I don't know what point I was trying to make here, but I have the wrong word here describing this. But 32 uh, percent is a little bit lower than than what you'd expect. Of course, Lamar doesn't always really need ample time and space. If the pressure gets pocket, if the pocket gets pressured, he may be getting exactly what he wants in terms of an escape from the pocket and then a gaping hole left where that uh, you know controlled rush lane might have been. Anyway, that, that ample time and space uh, set uh, works out to an expected yards of 173, and that's using Flacco 2010 to 2017 averages, and he actually threw for 238 net on the game, so 65-yard uh, uh, improvement on that, and that was on 31 throws. That's better than plus two per throw. That's absolutely terrific, mm-hmm. and uh, you know shows up in the 120 passer rating. Yeah, I mean, the efficiency this year is just out of control. I, I don't know personally, maybe you do, if there's any offenses that rival it, um, even in the last couple of seasons. Was Kansas City like that? Kansas City and and New Orleans last year are two of the teams with the Ravens that are now five, a total five all time that have been over 3.0 yards per drive. That's in the history of the National Football League. Now, the records only go back to 1993, but I'm gonna I'm gonna guarantee you there was never a team before that, before all of the yeah. show and turf stuff that happened, uh, whichever rolled up these kind of offensive numbers. There certainly was no point scoring offense that was anywhere near the near it in the ballpark. So the the uh, you know to put some of these numbers in perspective, the Rams' greatest show on turf in '99 when they won the Super Bowl, 2.45 uh, points per drive. The Patriots of 2007 were the all-time best at 3.37 points per drive. The Ravens earlier this year were above that. They were as high as 3.41 after a, after a game, and now they're sitting at right around 3.20, I believe, in terms of other uh, things. So they, they 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 can't quite have zero, I believe, going into this final thing, or they couldn't have like a 16-drive shutout would <laughs> <laughs> would be the thing they need to avoid in terms of the uh, the statistics. Let me see if I can see actually where they are right now. So I so we have that. So through, yep, this is through 16 weeks. The Ravens are scoring 3.16 points per drive uh, this year, getting a getting a first down or touchdown after each set of new downs 80.1 percent of the time, which is really remarkable. Absolutely. All right. Um, you know, Jackson threw six times in this game for 11-plus air yards, which is not a whole lot. Very controlled about his distances, mm-hmm. but also very efficient. He threw twice deep up the left sideline. Uh, those were incomplete. But he threw four times in the middle of the field, twice to Andrews for touchdowns, and twice others to one to Ingram. And I'm going to forget who the who the last one was. Might have been Andrews again, even. But uh, whoever it was, those all the middle of the field throws were all four. Kind of a similar pattern to last year. He's more efficient in the middle of that field, which, by the way, is not. It shouldn't be something people that should be unexpected to folks because if you move around in the pocket like Lamar does and you're completely looking for a vector, your best targets are going to be in the middle of that field as opposed to. On the left sideline, say, if you're rolling right, which is going to be very unlikely you'll find anybody there. Or even on the right sideline, if you're if you're, if you're you're um, rolling right, where you'll have a lot of incomplete passes that are forced, but also some completes that are, that are probably shorter in distance when you're forced to roll right. So most of his big targets, it's a natural consequence of being a rollout extended play quarterback that, it, that most of his good passes are going to be in the middle of the field. Yeah, I- I particularly was really impressed with that Mark Ingram pass over the middle that you talked about. 
Mm-hmm. That was a great, great play. And honestly, we don't see it too, too often where he goes out there and, and runs that deep of a route. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's They don't run a lot of wheel routes in this offense. So Ingram almost always is catching the catching the ball within a few yards of the line of scrimmage. Ingram also not the fastest guy. So, you know, you don't want him one-on-one against a safety necessarily where it's going to be a, a, a bigger man probably or just as big a man covering him. Uh, you know, on a route like that, it's you want a, a you want a faster back. It's Justice Hill. You want to run that wheel route mm-hmm. uh, that, that could uh, that could get done. But I agree. Uh, you, we go back to the Jones era again. There'll be a few people who are as old as me who remember this. But Joe Washington was a running back who could run a lot of deep routes uh, when he was with the Ravens. Uh, a guy who uh, just had really great speed for the day for the day, and uh, and was a good deep route runner. Route runner at running back. There just aren't too many of that in this era of 225 pound running backs. So there, there aren't, there aren't very many guys who play the position at 175 anymore. Um, we just haven't had one in a while who, uh, who's really, who's really been around, but justice Hill, smaller guy, definitely be an asset in the deep passing game. I think of the future. Mm-hmm. All right. A few more Lamar stats. Um, he only had three throws in this game within one yard of a defender that, that fits into a stat called aggressiveness. So three of 31, 9.7% uh, were within one yard of a defender. I kind of wonder if Andrews' second TD counts. I think Andrews was more than a yard behind the defender. And I think that it wouldn't, I think it's with a point where the pass is completed or determined that probably determines whether the guy was in one yard because it certainly went over the head of the safety right there uh, within a yard. But then when I think about it, other passes that go over the line of scrimmage are within a yard as well. But uh, it, it strikes me as he was extremely safe with the football is the primary point I'm trying to make there. Yeah, we didn't really see too many down the field passes like you were mentioning. Um, typically, that might be where the you you have a higher risk of something bad happening. But and I wanted to talk about I want to either pull that up now. What happened? We've been noticing this in at Ravens recap. Hollywood Brown, he is either a big part of this offense or just completely disappears. And it's curious how it happens because it doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason. Do you have any insight on that? Uh, you know, he was in there for 43 plays in this right. game. So, so it's a concern that he's only targeted twice for six yards. It's a concern. Now, it doesn't exactly mean that he's having no impact on the offense because a lot of what Brown does – is you got to think he pulls multiple defenders. Or he can even run routes that kind of drag multiple defenders. He is in a lot of ways yeah. a um, uh, a clear out receiver for the Ravens, not just in terms of as a vertical threat, but in terms of influencing a, a safety when he runs the post or runs other uh, uh, crossing routes that may drag a safety. And the big one that that he impacted was he appeared to be running a vertical and then turned and ran a hitch on the first Andrews touchdown. Right. And Damaris Randall's, Randall's, Randall blew the coverage. It's his guy all the way. But I think he thought he might have had help. And, you know, when I saw Randall being so upset on the sideline, I think I'm probably observing Randall being upset with himself after watching the film because it was his blown coverage. But something also tells me he, he expected to have help on that play. What Jackson really hasn't matured and learned how to do as much as he will, and this will be an area of growth for him, is really use the pump fake to burn defenses. Because, yeah. boy, I mean, he could manipulate the opposing defenders even more than he does and more than other quarterbacks because they're always watching him. You know, they mm-hmm. want to play zone coverage against him. They want to be looking in the backfield. They don't want to be playing trail coverage on a receiver and trying to figure out what the receiver is going to do. So. Yes. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And I feel like he, I mean, he's definitely grown this year doing that. I know a couple times at the beginning of the season, I was just gushing over the way he was looking off defenders and and really playing at a high level. It's remarkable how much he's grown year over year as a passer. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely, totally remarkable. I mean, we're going to get to see this guy grow into a different quarterback who does a whole set of other things well. I mean, I, th- I do think he's going to rely on his legs less. He will mm-hmm. never be a 1,200-yard rusher again. I'm convinced of that. His, his, his yardage will go down. Maybe he'll run ever for 1,000 again, or maybe he won't. But that's okay if he doesn't because, you know, we had Coach Evans on the show, and the thing he always says is that he'll, this will be – he'll become Russell Wilson in the future. And that's exactly the way to describe it is he'll become a field general. He'll be able to observe defenses, which he's pretty good at right now, and reading defenses, reading leverages, making the right throws against them. But he'll be able to manipulate defenders with his eyes – and with ball fakes at a different level, and he'll be able to command the rest of the offense to get to the line of scrimmage, line up the way he wants them, get the ball set. And that's still an area where he's still growing as a quarterback. And, and we've got so much to, to look forward to in terms of growth that will hopefully offset some of the natural losses that come with age, whether it's it's some to speed or, or, or perhaps some to injury that will, that will uh, uh, hold him back in other ways. So I, I really look forward at least to that part of Jackson's growth. Agreed. All right. Let's see. We talked about the the edge defender, so we can we can go on from that. I thought really nice again to see this kind of clear, uh, cold but not uh, not frozen weather. Certainly in um, in Cleveland, it's exactly January playoff weather. Light wind, uh, light January zephyrs. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> going to be what we want for for Jackson. A high wind game would be the nightmare in the playoffs because it would take away both Jackson's effectiveness. On the pass, it would tighten up defenses, reduce his impact against the run, and and also it would reduce uh, Tucker's value to the Ravens in the game. But it would be the nightmare scenario is wind at this point. And and by the way, that's what the Patriots played with for years, and and all teams that have great passing quarterbacks have had to play with for years. And we, Ravens, you know, very wind resistant team during the Flacco era because he could you know basically throw a ball through a stone wall. Uh, but but uh, also they had a great defense to take advantage of quarterbacks where there were a bunch of interceptable balls and passes defense that were bopping up in the air. All right. Um, I thought we'd each take a play on offense that we liked from this game. We'll just talk about it. We, yeah, how about you start? Where's a play on offense that you liked? Sure. Well, I'm going to go back to a guy that you've been hyping up as one of the biggest candidates to improve over the offseason, Miles Boykin with his catch in the fourth quarter at the 13.53 minute point. Unfortunately, we weren't able to punch the ball in on that drive, but I did like to see how he adjusted his route, found the soft spot, and had that chemistry with Lamar. He's a guy, just with his build and, and his NFL-ready body, he could be an absolute star on this team, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he improves. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. We we do talk about that fairly regularly on the show, and I appreciate that you listened to at least an episode or two. Some guests have, some guests haven't. <laughs> but, but that's that's great that uh, that you have. But he is he's a he's an outstanding candidate to improve in the offseason to to go to his own receiving coach, and it's really receiving skills he needs, and it's trust from Lamar he needs. So playing yeah. with Lamar during this offseason, uh, you know, I hope Lamar's offseason, particularly if the Ravens, you know, are able to go the distance here, he's going to be doesn't matter even if they don't go all the distance he's going to be on the cover of madden he's going to be <laughs> mr everything this offseason and i hope yeah. he can find time to hone his own skills a little bit go back to his own quarterback's coach for at least a week or two 
you know, have some throwing sessions with his guys. And I hope that includes Miles Boykin because, you know, that, that they are potentially a terrific tandem. I think he will. He he really strikes me as a true professional. It, his maturity at this stage of his career is pretty outstanding. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely remarkable to see a 22 year old like that. And, uh, you know, money changes people. He's he's going to have an unbelievable set of opportunities for endorsements and whatnot this offseason. Mm-hmm. Ray Lewis would would probably keep him straight on that. Ray Lewis also between 2000 and 2003 didn't really have any endorsement opportunities, none to speak of. And then he made a comeback with the 2003 draft where he was in a ton of commercials and, and did that. But, you know, that was a period where Ray Lewis could sit down with other players, focus on football during the offseason as he needed, you know, teach him how to study film and whatnot. And, and part of the reason the Ravens had, I think, a shorter uh, trough after the purge before the 02 season is that Ray Lewis was there to steady the team and to, and to keep everybody focused on the prize again. And by 03, in fact, the very next year, they were already division champs again. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, ready to talk some offensive line scoring. Oh, what about your play? Did you have a play? Uh, uh... Okay. Do I have a play? <laughs> I really like it. Um, I, I love the, the – uh, there's so many run plays that I really like. Did I have a play picked out, though, that I really like? I realized I was just jumping ahead there. <laughs> I really like the play where Marshall Yonda – pushed ahead yes. the running back for three additional yards. I love to see that out of Marshall. Uh, he's a, a a remarkably savvy player. And you see the Browns were doing some of that too, getting behind the scrum pile and Chubb to 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 push it. But you know, there was this was a no bones about it, you know, dwarf tossing effectively <laughs> on uh, on Yada's part where he where he tossed, I guess it was Ingram ahead for three yards. He's no no small guy. Uh, but uh, impressively done that. I there's all kinds of plays that I like during this game, but uh, uh, yeah, we um, we'll talk about some of them as we as we go through the rest of the way. All right, let's get to the offensive line. All right, outstanding. So let's go one one at a time here. So Ronnie Stanley, uh, another fine game. Uh, he has had no score below a B. I might have had a B minus, so I'll be careful about that. Uh, yeah, he had one B minus, but no none below a B minus since week one when he had a D plus that included two holding penalties. So. He's really having a fantastic uh, year. PFF is scoring for a historic year. I'm a little tighter on pressure events than they are, so I've got him uh, in particular for a lot more partial events. But uh, this is another game where he had half a penetration allowed, uh, half a pressure, and a half a quarterback hit was it. And he's only given up three and a half quarterback hits on the year, which is really nice out of your left tackle. He's only given up five-sixths of a sack. How could you give up five-sixths? Well, that's a half plus a third. Okay, so I just want to get there. Yeah. It's not some yeah. silliness. And then in pressures, he said 17 and a quarter by my accounting. So he's got a fair number of additional half pressures and some additional proximity pressures, which I'm tighter on um, than you might see us in a, in a PFF number. What I'm really loving out of Stanley, nine blocks in level two in this game. Now, the read option brings out the best in both of our tackles. So we have we have Brown on the right side, who is tremendously benefiting from having Lamar Jackson at quarterback. The first thing is when he gets to down block and leave an unblocked defender on the edge, that's a much easier block for him to make. And it also positions him better to move to level two, hit a scraping linebacker that might be trying to, to, to get to the right edge to make a tackle on a run or to get to level two and make an effective block. Both those things. Also with Brown, he has a better chance to make use of his ability to anchor against the bull rush 
because the edge defender tries to two-gap more to keep Lamar in the pocket on pass plays. I don't think anybody's benefiting more in terms of his grade than Orlando Brown this season having Lamar. But Stanley is taking his play to another level as well because he moves to level two and he makes a block with great regularity. I think he had 10 in the last game, nine this week, which are incredible totals for a tackle to make that many blocks in level two in a single game. But it's a function of the read option is that he often releases his level one assignment down blocks for maybe a second just to make sure that the tackle is set up for the DT is set up for Bozeman. Then he moves to level two and sometimes level three to make a very effective block uh, that'll lead a lead a run left oftentimes from Lamar. So uh, his legs uh, have just been of terrific use. We always love his feet because he's able to move and, and uh, keep himself between the pass rusher and Lamar better than any left tackle in the league right now. But love him even more in terms of his ability and mobility to get to level two and make effective blocks that really help on downfield runs. Yeah, he's just been outstanding this year. Can't say much more about it. All right, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> it's true. All right, uh, so we'll we'll move on to the Bozeman. Now, uh, I know Nikki Bozeman's out there. Hope you're hope you're listening to this, and and uh, I know she follows me on Twitter. I need to say something, but we would love to have your husband on the show. He's having a great run right now. Six straight games of a B or better uh, since the Houston game, and uh, and we'd really uh, love to hear the story. Now, we knew about this before because I believe Zach Sealer and him. We're both living in um, motorhomes uh, this, yeah, right. this, this season. So I, I, I'm not sure if they were actually living in the same motorhome. They might have been sharing one. And seeing that monster, I thought I thought this might be a very humble motorhome. It's a, it's a really nice-looking <laughs> thing that they have. I mean, you'd, you'd love to have that as a, as a RV to drive around the country. And the way they've got it set up in a, you know, a rural area with a bunch of trees around looks just, looks just beautiful. But I, I, there is a guy who is not going to bro- go broke after football. Yeah, and it's great what he's going to be doing in the community. He has a tour planned with his wife to go to different schools and, and talk to them. Um, he's a great guy. I remember in the offseason, candidly, worrying that he would be our liability on the line. And we were excited when Powers got drafted. You know, he came in with that quote about how he likes to – he waits until the defense feels defeated. Like, that's what he thrives on. It's like, oh, that's yeah. a great quote. Like, that's exactly what we want out of linemen. And like you've said, we haven't – heard anything about powers i'm hoping we see something this game coming up in pittsburgh that'll finally be activated because it's quite odd what happened to this fourth rounder um but bozeman is not making us wonder much at all because he's been playing at such a high level yeah he's absolutely playing great football and we've mentioned this a couple of times but before the seattle game he'd had four straight games where he got f b minus d d Okay, yeah, and and, right. and his his season was on the line at that point, in my opinion. If he'd had a really bad game at Seattle, another D or an F, and they'd gone into the bye week, it'd been the perfect time to change horses. And they might have made the move and and might have gone either to Hurst, you know, or or made yeah. a move to, to Powers at that point. We don't really know where Powers is. We're not privy to what's going on in practice, so he may be way behind. But it, that would have been a time to change that would have been obvious. And then he had his best game of the year at Seattle. Turned the whole season around. Since then, he had he had a D, a C, and then B, B plus, B, B, A, B the last six weeks. So uh, just outstanding. And, and he's been one of the really big assets on this line. Made six out of seven pulls in this game, three level two blocks. He did have two half pressures, so that's that's a good pass blocking result, certainly, and a third of a quarterback hit. So another fine game right at the top of the B range at .88 in terms of the adjusted score. So uh, one more point he got had, would have had a B-plus there. Uh, outstanding uh, outstanding change of direction for the season for, uh, for Bozeman. 
All right. Nothing more to say about that, I guess. Yep. I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to leave pauses here, buddy. No, I no, understood. Okay, so we, we'll, we'll move on to McCary. Uh, he, he also played all 69 snaps, uh, made 59 in his blocks. One of the problems from McCary has been in, in the weeks he's been playing is that he misses a fair number of blocks, which is uh, centers do not miss as many blocks as other positions on the offensive line because they are often the basis of where pass blocking protections get set up. So they usually know exactly who they're going after. Um, he's missed eight, seven, six, and six. Some of them are losses at the line of scrimmage. Some of them, unfortunately, are a, are a function of short arms. And uh, and this was his worst game at, in terms of a score. He had a D minus. Um, this is third D minus. Still has not had a third D or D minus. Still has not had a game where he totally dropped off the table. And when we've looked back at centers who've really been struggling for the Ravens, they've had a lot of games because, frankly, the the ranges of scoring at center are pretty thin because centers. Uh, uh, they need a high score to get an A. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it that way. So the grade level margins are fairly thin. So what it amounts is is that he's had a lot of games that have been fairly marginal, but he hasn't really dropped off the table. And there's a lot of room in that D range from being just a, a, you know an F plus effectively to being yeah. an absolute terrible performer who's gonna kill your team with you know three quarterback hits say in a game. But uh, but Bozeman, he, sorry, McCary has not had one of those games so far. He did have pick up another holding penalty in this one, and that's naturally going to going to hold down his score. Yeah, and the biggest thing we saw is that there's been this game we saw it we saw it the last game a few bad snaps, right? Mm-hmm. That was the thing that we saw with Skura didn't happen as often, and that's one of the big things personally I like to see cleaned up. I feel as a unit the offensive line has been doing a great job. This game in particular the holes were huge for the running backs to run through. And that was, uh, but the, the snaps that can really kill you. I remember, I think it was last week, the snap really close to the goal line. I mean, that could have been an absolutely devastating play. Yeah. I think Lamar's been pretty good about reacting to these just a bit outside snaps, you know, the high and outside, the right. low and even the low and outside kind of low is, is really death. You don't want to get them high either. You don't you certainly don't want to put them over the quarterback because you can lose a bunch of yards, but, but low, you can really set the quarterback up for a bad result as well. McCary, interestingly enough, took just about every seven on seven snap during camp. So they had from very early time, they took Skura off that duty and maybe it's just something that where they where they kind of knew they wanted they wanted to try and make a center out of McCary who'd been a tackle in college, and they they wanted to make sure they had a lot of experience with shotgun snaps. But he he took all of them in seven on sevens, and it didn't really seem like that was a problem. Of course, those are kind of perfect conditions. It's it's not windy. It's it's you know it's hot. You're not having any problems with your hand, not being able to feel the ball or other things you might have in a in a game situation during the year and and he appeared to be very effective at that uh, at that during camp but uh, we'll see how that how that develops he he had some problems in buffalo a lot of a lot of centers have problems with the wind in buffalo mm-hmm. and balls getting away from them there but uh, uh, it has been a problem i agree with you you on the Yanda. Okay, so Yanda, uh, one and a half pressures allowed in this game one of the the half pressure events he got was for the a pass knocked down at the line of scrimmage by it might have been Richardson or it might have been another player. I'm not sure who that who was his assignment who disengaged from and got up. That's one of the ones that I would charge him for. PFF wouldn't. So there's a difference in in uh, scoring definition here. It's a relatively small one. Uh, he made most of his blocks certainly on the game. Missed four. 
uh, graded out as a B plus in this game, a very solid game. Uh, three out of three pulls, three blocks in level two. Actually, frankly, a little low for Yanda, not what uh, we would expect. But he's such a consistent performer week after week. He hardly ever drops below the B range, and uh, and this was no exception. He got a B plus in this game. Yep, just another great game from him, future Hall of Famer. Yeah, exciting, exciting. All right, Orlando Brown really had an, the one truly exceptional result of this week. So one of my problems with the Browns and grading offensive line play against them is the subjective adjustment is difficult to make because all of the players right now on the Browns' defensive line are pretty mediocre with the exception of Richardson. Uh, and and Ogunjobi is pretty good, too, on the inside. But the outside guys in particular, without Olivier Vernon and without Miles Garrett, are not good at all. So you have Brown facing Gustin for a lot of the game, and he's not very good. And on the other side... Don't even know honestly who the <laughs> who the uh, the backup was there there that was playing, but Brown, uh, you know, was highly advantaged in terms of playing a, a player who's fairly close to replacement. So it was naturally going to be very tough on his adjustment. But he he made 67 out of 69 blocks and didn't have a single negative play in this game. So he was already at a point 97 unadjusted. And why that's important, we're getting to in just a second. His adjustment, I was really going down to, do, does, is there enough here to give him a .03 adjustment? But what, what gave it to me was he had three highlight blocks in this game that, that was the most of the Ravens. And two of them were combos. Another was on a great pass block pickup where he picked up an uh, inside rush from a defensive back. I think it was number 30, but, I, but the Browns uniforms are incredibly hard to pick up. I don't know if, if I, I, the, the work I do I would have a very difficult time doing if I were a fan of the Cleveland Browns. The Ravens have nice, readable jerseys uh, that, that are not hard to deal with. The Browns, they drive me nuts. The Dolphins are worse. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, bad. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you really you really have to deal with that. But anyway, first A-plus awarded to any player along the offensive line this season was went to Orlando Brown in this game. Yeah, I just want to say for the whole line, it's great to see how they work together. Brown being a third-round draft pick. He's been playing at a super high level, proving to be one of the best right tackles in the league. Got recognized as an alternate in the Pro Bowl. And it sure looks like Lamar is thankful. He gave all of them Rolex just dates today. Yes. Or uh, date just, rather. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's nice to see that camaraderie as a unit. They had a, a big Christmas dinner together just last week. Um, it looks like they're they're really just working well as a group. Yeah, I, I, I like to see that as well. And, and you do see... Some accountability things occurring on the field, particularly between Bozeman and Stanley this year that have been it's been clear that, you know, each of them has expectations, the other and whatnot. So I, I don't want just a clear, you know, a, a pat on the back across the line. I'd like to see some of that interaction where it says, look, wait a minute, let's get this straight the next time you're supposed right. to block that guy. I'm supposed to block this guy. Um, but anyway, that's a, it's you're right. I, it's good in the end that Lamar as a 22 year old rookie playing on his first contract and still making yeah. millions. Okay, and, and this offseason, Lamar, you know, could easily sign for I, I, I don't even know how much money, 10 million, 25 million, whatever it is in terms of endorsement money. This offseason is, is certainly po- within the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, for, for that to for him, though, as a rookie to be handing out gifts like that is really special. I mean, Flacco as a rookie bought dinner. That's great. Uh, but, <laughs> right. but, but but an offensive lineman, you know, they can eat. But but still, this these watches, that's a. That's a great thing, and I'm sure they they the players are really appreciative. You have players in that group, McCary, uh, you know, Skura, Bozeman, uh, whose futures are not necessarily paved with unbelievable numbers of dollars. They have tenuous futures, 
yeah. in terms of, of their NFL. And, and getting a watch like this is a very real commemoration of a great time spent with Lamar that I'm sure they'll appreciate for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else on the offensive line you got to say, or did you make your last comment already there? That's all. All right. All right, let's look, at, look at, ahead to Week 17. We just talked about this very briefly in terms of powers. But who are you most excited to see in Week 17, given all the news about who the Ravens are resting? Well, with Mark Ingram down, it gives Justice Hill a time to really show off his skills. We finally saw that breakout game. We called it back in Week 12 as, oh, this is going to be the week that he breaks out and has a touchdown and uh, 50 yards or so. He did it this week against the Browns. He's a, he's a guy that has a lot of talent. You can't deny his speed, but I think you could definitely see we were joking, like, it could be a poor man's Alvin Kamara come next year if he's able to really um, improve. He needs he needs some more weight on his bones because his pass blocking is so suspect. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the big reasons why we don't see him uh, too often and hasn't gotten a bigger role. Also because Ingram, in, in my opinion, has been uh, he's done more than I expected. Yeah, yeah. He, he came in. I, I'm not too big on paying too much for a running back. Now, granted, he didn't get that huge of a salary coming in, but I was just a little concerned. Like, why are we spending money there? There are other positions that I think are need the money more. But no, Ingram has totally proven me wrong. He has been an incredible player. Um, he was totally worth the contract. I agree. And even if if this were his only really good season, and, and normally that's the case. You get a free agent. You sign him for four years, five years. Like with just with uh, Elvis Doomerville when they signed him, mm-hmm. signing an older player for five years like that. You want to get one real top shelf year. You want to get another year that's maybe a, a notch below that. You realize he's probably not going to play the last year, and then there's going to be a couple of years also of, of a combination of injuries and ineffectiveness with a player that old. Yeah. Or less effectiveness, let's put it that way. And and that's exactly what the Ravens got out of Elvis, for example. They got that great 2014 season. And they got a pretty good year, one other year, where he, where he was bringing it as a pass rusher. But honestly, uh, you know, it was, it was exactly what you expect from an older player like that. Another guy whose number we called for earlier in the season was Jaleel Scott. And we were we were worried, like, you know, we weren't seeing the production out of the wide receivers that we were hoping for. No one was really stepping out as the number one or number two, really, after mm-hmm. Hollywood. And we were like, OK, maybe Scott, who really started to show something after, honestly, his a rookie campaign that we were was very forgettable. We weren't very impressed with that pick at all. Uh, I was actually one of the guys who was really interested in lastly and seeing more what he could do. Obviously, that didn't work out. But Scott, this uh, preseason really showed up, was playing well. And I'm excited to see how he plays in this game with RG3 and McSorley throwing passes to him. On the defensive side of the ball, do you know if they've decided if Marshall is going to play? I'd be curious to see him. I think there's basically a 100% chance we'll see some of Marshall in this game. Because here's here's what's happened. They announced five inactives. I think what what I'm gathering from that is one of the cornerbacks will be inactive, either, either Peters or Smith. But Harbaugh doesn't want to say which right now because he would probably like it to be Smith due to general injury risk that goes with him. But he will make it be Peters if Peters' injury is serious enough. So Peters is a younger guy. You you would normally rest the older player. And certainly Jimmy over the years has been much more injury prone than Marcus Peters has. Right. And it, it would make sense. And the Ravens are not quite in a position where they can sit them both. 
because they, they have Averett and they have Marshall that they could put them both in, but that couldn't that potentially could expose them a little bit, and they probably don't want to go with just those two guys at corner. But I think there's basically a hundred percent chance we'll see Marshall. He's a guy they need to figure out what they have as quickly as possible. They got Averett on the field for sixty five snaps as a rookie. That was a good trial to say, hey, this guy might be something. Now it's turned out he has not had the kind of second year they'd hoped in terms of of his play on the field. But he's another guy I want them to get back to and, and see, you know, what can he do now? He seem, he's probably healthy after being, you know, not not playing for a while, you know, not not, uh, not taking any game hits anyway. So uh, I, I want to see what he's got in the tank right now in this final week. I'd love to see both of them on the field with, say, Peter's the only active but sitting on the sideline unless it's he's needed for injury. Right on. What about you? Yeah, okay. Well, I, I Jaleel Scott was among my guys. Hill, I'm, but you mentioned about Hill and his pass blocking. I, I just want to go back to that for a second. He made two great to-the-body pass blocks in this game. And and it's, by the way, it's not that he's a bad pass blocker. It's just that he's a small guy, forces him to really attack the body, as Justin Forsett did, you know, as a, as a somewhat smaller back. Um, he just has to put so much physically into mm-hmm. a, a, a pass block. It, it can take a physical toll on him, I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, it, it was a... One he picked up in the middle uh, on a six-man rush from the from the Browns that really impressed me particularly because he stuck it right in the body of the Browns player and all of a sudden nobody moved. I'm like, wow, that's really impressive for him to do that. I, you know, we, we write down who who blocks the passer in terms of set and ship blockers among the eligible receivers on every play, and and he was uh, uh, he did a good job on that one. In general, I thought he did a good job in this game. I would agree with you though, being a smaller guy that that has been a problem. The guy I want to see is Powers. I mean, I really want to see him at right guard, play the entire game, and just let it ride with him. I want to see where he is as a player right now, and I want to kind of understand why the Ravens have kept him on the inactive list the whole season. There may be reasons with a, with a mild injury, or there may be reasons uh, that relate to just physical strength at this point in the season, but if he really had an injury that was serious enough, they've picked up all of these Back up, retread offensive lineman, Ainger and Ehinger. I have to pronounce it correctly. Ehinger. Um, uh, Grassu. Yeah, right. You know, who they've had active. And there's nothing to learn from those guys in terms of, of their future with the Ravens. They don't have one. Okay, they're not right. going to be here next year. It's all about his powers. Does he does he give us something right now? And maybe, you know, if he plays well, maybe he's the seventh lineman in the playoffs. Instead of somebody else, I mean, Hurst is going to be the sixth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've had, they've obviously been going with a backup center now, Gressu, uh, for the last couple of weeks to try and make sure. I think that they have a backup center and don't have to move Bozeman. I think that's the primary reason they're doing yeah. it. So uh-huh. they might keep with that. But but anyway, I think you know we want to see what the return on this draft pick is too. Right. If you have to, we'll wait till next year. But but it'd be nice to see one game of powers at least at guard to see what see what's there. And I actually want to add one more person. After watching um, Mark Andrews get up gimpy on that eighth drive, I really just want to see him get shut down for this game and give Hurst the highlight because we're of the opinion that Hurst is a fantastic player. He gets open often. Mm-hmm. And I know you saw that block where he just yeah. completely manhandled. I mean, he's a great player. I think you give him the time, more snaps, let him do his thing, and and let – Whatever happened to Andrews, even though I think he came in and uh, at the end of the game anyways, give him time to heal, just rest, and go from there. 
He's he's not among the listed inactives, but they have to do some offensive cobbling here to 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 put together offense. I mean, they're going to be playing with two running backs for starters. Right. So it, that al- almost demands that they do either run some run plays with RG3 or run some other slash packages with McSorley to get him in the game mm-hmm. to do more things. I think I, I agree with you. I think they ought to just sit Andrews for the game if it's at all possible or maybe play him 15 snaps or something to play him the the absolute minimum number of snaps and take away some of his receiving snaps, his designated receiver snaps on third down that he normally plays and just give them to Hurst. Yeah, but I, I I would agree if I, I would like to see less from that. But they have to figure out how they're how they're going to run the offense with a lot less in terms of assets this game. It's hard. Yeah, we were talking about that offline. Just <laughs> it's really hard. You can't just sit everybody, right? You still have yes. to play a football team. And as much as you like to see all these people sit, you think about it for a second. You look at the snaps. It can't be done. <laughs> That's right. So. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. And they, have, they, they, a lot of people say, well, I want to, I want them to sit the whole offensive line. Well, that would leave you four offensive linemen. Do you really want to take that kind of? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's right. a, it, they, they can't sit Ronnie Stanley in this game because they have to really dress three tackles. But they can start Hurst at left tackle and yeah. sit Stanley on the bench unless there's an injury. They can do that, and that's what they, what might occur. I think it's, it's very possible. Uh, you know, we'll see that. Or maybe, maybe Stanley plays a half, and then he, and then he gets out of there when McSorley comes in the game, say. But, uh, you know, they, they, they have options, but you're right. You, you really have to sit across section of the roster. You can't sit two at any position. That just doesn't make sense. I really question whether or not they were able to sit um, Brian, uh, Brandon Williams in this game, but they've already committed to doing it. They, they do have an extra body, but it, it kind of leaves them tight. Four defensive linemen and two of them are Pecco and Ellis, who, are, who have not played many snaps. And, it, you know, you, you just don't know if you can rely on them to, to put a good effort in a lot of snaps. I guess part of it is I really want the Ravens to, to put together a good team on the field. And that matters a lot less in Week 17 than these guys just being able to fill time, get the game over with, don't worry about the result. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the nature yeah. of playing backups. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. I, at this point in the show, we normally just alternate and talk about some skill position players. So why don't you take the first and we'll we'll just alternate calling out some players and talking about their performance. Well, we talked about it for a good part of the show. Lamar Jackson just showed off this game. Another great performance, proving that he was the top quarterback in that draft. I know. Uh, I feel like we're going to always have that rivalry right now with him and Baker Mayfield. Um, he he just had an outstanding game. Yeah, I think he's, he's left all doubters behind at this point it's uh uh pretty funny it, 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 to see anybody still lingering i think most of them are, have like crawled into their holes and are looking at <laughs> wounds at this point but if you try and educate the masses on lamar jackson online it's the it's the ultimate fool's errand i posted <laughs> something and i admit i derived a little bit of schadenfreude as a twitter troll for doing it because i know this 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 statistic does not exactly hold water but I, but i listed the top seasons ever uh, of 1,200 plus yards in terms of, of rushing yards in a season, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson has 6.85 yards per carry. It's the highest ever for any player who rushed for 1,200 plus yards in a season. And it's if you take out the kneels, 19 kneels for minus 20 this this season, it's 7.81 yards. <laughs> the next highest is Jim Brown in 1963 at 6.40. Then wow. Jamal Jamal Charles 6.38. Barry Sanders, 1997, 6.13. Adrian Peterson, 2012, 6.03. O.J. Simpson, 1973, 6.03. So 
So he's in great company, certainly on that list. And I realize the, the some of the fraud that goes with that. That's not exactly the right term of the chicanery that goes with that to yeah. to, to to put him on a list with guys who are, who are taking a bigger workload. Um, but when you look at his, his uh, you know, what he's done, it's it is very remarkable. And as soon as you do that, all these people come out and they want to correct a list you said you get you can't do that you compare can't compare him to a bunch of running quarterbacks because they got to respect the throw and all just <laughs> just I just love just you know dropping that hand grenade onto Twitter and then letting other people <laughs> fight these arguments on on this trailer thing it's been it's been very amusing watching that all day I've got to say so uh, <laughs> that's, that's been fun the the one th- one other statistic that I had on that was Lamar his let me see if I can get this together here because I've got it right close at hand. Oh, no, don't tell me I don't have this statistic because it was the coolest one. All right. Well, it's it's out there in the article or on Twitter anyway, and I should be able to find it there if I if I just think about it. But the the his season to date, sorry, Jim Brown's 1963 season, which is widely thought of as being the greatest season in NFL history for a running back, uh, is – I need to get the number of carries right, because if I do this wrong, I will just mess it up. 291 carries for 1,863 yards, 12 touchdowns. Lamar Jackson in his career has, if you exclude the kneels, 33 for minus 35 yards he's had in two seasons, has 290 carries for just over 1,900 yards and 12 touchdowns. Mm eerily eerily similar in terms of that and again we're talking about running quarterbacks and that's another nice hand grenade to lob out there but uh, i understand the chicanery of what i did and uh, and uh, <laughs> i've been amused all day watching the responses to it so thank you folks I, I i do appreciate that i'm sorry where were we in this whole conversation picking yeah, players we were... pick lamar i'll pick another okay yeah we were talking about our mvps okay well i, I want to pick, we'll pick some players like gus edwards i thought needs to have some better ball security Mm-hmm. But he's a player I've been uh, enjoying this season. He basically has repeated on a per carry basis exactly what he did last year. Improved his ball security in general this season, um, but has, has run for 5.2 yards per carry just like last year. And uh, you know I can't say enough nice things about him. He's he's the perfect complement for Lamar as an inside player, even better so than Ingram mm-hmm. in terms of his ability to run that that dive play. Yeah, and he showed off some hands uh, last week, too. Caught a couple of passes, and yeah, Gus the Bus, we like him a lot. And it's cool to see that even though he's not taking on the lead role like he had last year, just really contributing to the team nonetheless. Yep, excited about it. Is uh, another player for you? Uh, I It was one that keeps people in my mind. Uh, another person is Bozeman. I think the way he's turned around the second half of the season, really played well, is something that we need to... Uh, commemorate and and appreciate like with a watch or a ring yeah. <laughs> say to go with that watch sure <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> exactly all right nick boyle i thought had a really good game as as a blocker uh made a couple contributions as a receiver but i thought he did a good job uh blocking on the run plays the, the tight end group is remarkable this offseason do you remember how much crap the ravens got on twitter for having an announcement about the nick boyle signing and I was lukewarm on it, I have to admit, in terms <laughs> yeah. of getting three years, 18 million. And, and you know, is this the guy we want to invest that money in after the suspension history? All of that is behind him at this point. He's turned in a top shelf season of blocking and receiving in terms of what you'd expect to get from a player like play, uh, player like Nick. Exactly the perfect compliment. He is he is the Greg Roman 
the pillar around which a Greg Roman offense is built. I mean, Lamar is there and obviously driving the entire thing, but Boyle's blocking just remarkable. Yeah, the guys don't let me forget. Chris and Peter, they don't let me forget. Uh, my opinion, too, is a little lukewarm about the signing, and Boyle has completely shown me the light this season. I think we were talking about maybe players that got snubbed in the Pro Bowl. His position isn't recognized in the Pro Bowl, right? Like a running guard, essentially, and who can catch the ball. It's not a position, but he does it really well, and it's uh, just an example of how unique this Ravens offense is. Well, it's it, they kind of do recognize it in the fullback position because that's right. exactly the, the way that Boyle plays. Boyle does not play often anymore as a traditional eye fullback anymore. He's a he's a he's a running guard, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a motioning guard, we'll call it. Yep. All right. All right. That's it. I guess that's enough of skill position players. Unless you got somebody else to bring on. Nope. Not in particular. All right. Just Andrew's winning fantasy football for me. Much appreciated. Oh, that's great. Congratulations, <laughs> man. As well, you. You won your league? <laughs> no, not this year. I am in. Unfortunately, we didn't catch it before the season started. But one of the leagues I'm in uh, has a Week 17 uh, Super Bowl, so we'll see what happens there. My other leagues, not so much. I I played really well the last couple of years, but this year has been a little rockier. But there's one league at least holding me, <laughs> giving me a decent uh, decent success. Still have not done it ever. Played any any fantasy football? Uh, not my thing, but uh, but I appreciate. Me. It's <laughs> you know the, the thing is. I always it dates back to baseball is that I didn't didn't ever really like how uh, rotisserie baseball reflected uh, actual value in baseball. And I hated that so much. I could never get into it for football either. I think there's I think it's actually probably slightly better for football in terms of measuring accomplishments. But there's still things like this year, Lamar Jackson's influence on the game on on the on the Ravens offense in particular is not fully reflected in some absurdly good statistics. I mean, he has 36 touchdown passes and six interceptions. He has 1,200 yards, and that still doesn't measure what he does for this offense because he can, no. he keeps the entire defense loose. I mean, he's you got to give him about 1.2 yards per carry from from Ingram's total and about one of Gus Edwards, <laughs> and you know that's that's about what he's deserving for for his impact on on keeping the uh, on keeping the offense going. So. Uh, I've always felt that way about it. I, I heard the explanation once of why they included stolen bases, which are basically a zero event in baseball. Very hard to derive value from stolen bases when you look at them on any kind of linear weights basis. But they said they included it because they needed a reflection of defensive value. So they wanted to put some element of speed in there so you'd take speedy outfielders as opposed to just home run hitting outfielders who, who weren't providing any defensive value. It seemed like a lame explanation to me. Uh, baseball statistically went to hell for me when they started adding on base percentage and slugging percentage together. Don't know how much you you're into this, Alec, but mm-hmm. um, OPS has ruined stats and ruined baseball in a lot of ways because it de-emphasizes the walk. In truth, the off the on base percentage component of OPS is worth twice as much as most analysts look at it as the slugging percentage component, but OPS puts them on equal footing. And so guys who strike out a lot, hit a lot of home runs, they're they're derive a higher value through OPS. And the way that fans look at that value is just is really misplaced. And the the Orioles, who during an 18 consecutive winning season streak, outwalk their opponents every single year. And by an average of 109 per season, 
uh, they lost their way. They lost the Oriole way most specifically in their ability not to outwalk their opponents. So that was my my big frustration. And uh, we've, we've gone on a long <laughs> diatribe about baseball here, but that's the meandering nature of these conversations sometimes. Yeah. All right, where do where do you put them among the Super Bowl contenders? You all are you concerned at all about a three week rust period for Lamar or for any of the others? They're professionals. I think they'll be all right. It's obviously a concern, but it's one of those things I think you blame it on because it happened. It's not. I don't know if it's a real thing. What do you mm-hmm. think? You know, it, if they come out guns a blazing, it'll be like, oh, the rest helped. And then yes. if they if they fail, he'll be like, oh, the rest hurt. <laughs> you know, it's just something to talk about. So I don't put too much weight into it. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Is if if anything goes wrong in that first playoff game. They'll be looking for a big explanation of why the hell did this go wrong. And it has to relate to something, poor decision that was made, poor game planning or poor play by the Ravens, because it never has anything to do with the opponents and the opponents really figuring out how to beat you, which is basically what happened in that Chargers game, by the way, is they won that game by manhandling our offensive line with Ingram and Bosa in particular. And creating problems that had never occurred. I don't think I don't think the Ravens have a first round opponent who could do to, do that to them. But uh, but they could lose this game. And we certainly you know we're in Tennessee twice and saw the Titans lose games to the Ravens and know just how devastated a fan base can be by that. Oh yeah, man. I, I, let's just not lose. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> handle that. <laughs> yeah, the the 06 loss to the Colts uh, yeah. still God. my worst day as a football fan. So. Uh, so, yeah, yeah it's there's it, an awful lot riding on this first playoff game for the Ravens. I remember being at Silver Spring Mining Company. I was one of the places me and my parents like to watch the games. Pretty good environment there in Perry Hall. And, yeah, that was pretty downtrodden. But, hey, sometimes that happens. Just All not right. this year, hopefully. All right, Silver Spring Mining Company, that'll be $25 for the advertising there. We'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, the Ravens... Uh, we, we talked about this in the production meeting a little bit, but they have a, a historic DeVoe rating. Now, we, did, we haven't explained what DeVoe is in a few weeks anyway, but defensive value over average, it's, foot, it's football outsiders, uh, proprietary and uh, hallmark statistic uh, that, that measures a play-by-play success in winning games. And, and they have a DeVoe that's among the highest 10 or so teams of all time at this point in the season. And they're already bemoaning the fact that the Ravens, by playing their Backups will probably be denying themselves a chance to finish in the top 10 or 12 of all time, which is a shame, but uh, but obviously very necessary in terms of the, the playoff seating. Yeah, that's a the hard thing about stats. Sometimes it's better to be a little bit more contested because then you can't run it up. I mean, for instance, with Lamar Jackson, he sat basically a whole game throughout the season just being right. benched because of being too good, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, so the, the, the statistics for about a three game period there that that centered around that Rams game were unbelievable in terms of the percentage of the times they got in the end zone with Jackson at the helm and the number of times they had to punt with Jackson. I think yeah. they might have had one punt in three games with Jackson right. at quarterback. Yeah. All right. So let's let's go with our MVPs. We'll we'll call them three to one like hockey stars. You go ahead with number three so you get the first sure thing to be a, a unique call. Oh, all right. I'll go with uh, Gus Edwards. Right, good call. No, no complaints. We've talked about him a little bit, but certainly running the football effectively. Sad to see him fumble in this game, but uh, but I understand that. My number three guy is Mark Andrews. Uh, open twice for big plays down the middle of the field at the right time. That's not all him in terms of doing this, but he certainly knew how to take advantage of it. And I thought in particular on the second catch, he made a great adjustment to the ball 
to to catch that. And and Lamar has got to trust Andrews, and he's also got to trust himself to get it over to Marius Randall in that play. Obviously, Randall did not have his head in the right place to react to the football in time. I don't mean his head in the right place in terms of he wasn't paying attention. I mean he he literally didn't have his head turned to Lamar to see you know that the throw was coming his way. Yep. To continue the offensive perspective, I just want to bring up Bozeman again. Just a great play from him this uh, game and helped open up those big running lanes that we were talking about earlier in the show. Well, thanks for picking picking Bose because he, he deserves to be on the list list. So my guy is Orlando Brown, um, the best game of the season by any offensive lineman, the first perfect grade anyway. And uh, just an outstanding game. Can't say enough about what he did. And he, he is benefiting a little bit from who Lamar Jackson is, but uh, but outstanding game. Yeah, we uh, we always struggle to call Lamar the MVP. We do it from time to time just because you could say that almost every game. For me, I'm going to go with Mark Andrews. The way he finds space, the way he's able to street ball like Lamar likes to call it and get open is pretty pretty awesome. We're used to having good tight ends in Baltimore, and this is no exception. Andrews is continuing the tradition. Okay, I can't not give it to Lamar with uh, another 100-yard <laughs> game and, and the passing game he had. In particular, noting out the plus 65 in expected yards. He's just he's doing a lot with his opportunity set. Even there, uh, he had a higher expected completion percentage than he actually delivered on. So he's really making good use of the opportunities he's given. And, and that's even though he's not doing as well as advanced stats like uh, uh, NextGen would tell you that he, that he could do. So anyway, mm-hmm. outstanding. So I think we, we, all good things to talk about. Lots of pats on the back this week. Anything that worried you that you saw from this game? Just, you know, Hollywood kind of falling off and, and not making much of an appearance. That does worry me. Just in general, the wide receivers can be very hit or miss game to game. I think Seth Roberts has been stepping up as a number two on this offense. You've been seeing him get open and also blocking well. Boyle, oh my, or uh, not Boyle. He blocks well too, but Boykin, incredible blocking downfield we uh that that does concern me i also get a little concerned whenever they it was particularly after the jets game i was a little concerned because i felt like that game should have been even though we won by 21 points i felt it was a little sloppy and it just wasn't as uh precise they were getting a little excited about themselves and i was like well you know there were some things here to (laughs) to clean up it's just for me i just want to keep seeing them keeping their head down Stay laser focused football for the next month, month and a half, and and let's finish this season the way uh, we want to. Yeah, I'm, I I couldn't agree more. In, in fact, going back to that that Jets game, the fact that Darnold was able to run around a little bit from pressure, and they put a good amount of pressure on that game. I think they might have had twenty five percent ample time and space in that game, but Darnold made some good throws on the run. And they're going to face that in the playoffs with with their biggest adversary, potential adversary, which I think is the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Agreed. Yep. Uh, we'll have a running quarterback who can make plays, and they need to be able to 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 stay on their on their second and third level coverages. But they also need to need to make sure that they keep the pressure on. And I think they're going to do a lot of cover zero as they did in Kansas City. Sorry, as they didn't do in Kansas City, because Tony Romo will tell you about that during 2018. Uh, they'll play a lot of covers here in that game. They will do a lot of things to blitz Mahomes, make him uncomfortable, try and get him to throw the ball away on the third down because they realize how dangerous those extended plays are. Yeah, the, the, there's no way the playoffs don't have scary matchups. These are they're good teams for a reason, but you can't take any of this for granted. The Ravens have had a tremendous season, but they're going to be playing the best teams 
focused at an all-time level. So we'll see. Just yeah. keep our fingers crossed. I mean, the, the one good thing about this is the Ravens have a historic record of beating good teams this season. They've, they've yes. they had what seven and one or whatever against teams with winning records. And, and that's one of the, they've, it's, it's it's just remarkable that that's occurred. Now, they won't get one against the Steelers. They're going to lose a win against the Steelers because the Steelers are either going to go to 500 or they're going to beat them the second time, one or the other. Yep. Uh, so so that won't happen. I guess a tie would be the way they preserve it if they, <laughs> if they, if they do that. But anyway, they, they, uh, uh, they've had a great record. In past Ravens teams, that's often been a case as they've gone into the playoffs with a mediocre record against winning teams. But by the way, that's normal. You're supposed to win <laughs> games against winning teams. That's what they are. Winning teams win most of their games. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, Alec, been a total pleasure to have you on. Appreciate the conversation today. Tell us again how they, people can find your, your work and your podcast. And, and uh, second of all, wh- where they find you on Twitter or other places you want them to look. Ken, it's been an honor to be on this show with you. I tweet um, at my account, Apollianis. Uh, on Twitter, but I have really toned down my Ravens tweeting on there and mainly mainly focus on our Ravens recap account. That's Ravens underscore recap on Twitter. And you can find our show ravensrecap.com. It's on all your podcast apps. Um, Like I said, we're just trying to enjoy this season. Like I said, it's so cool that we started this year. We had no idea when we started in, I think, early April that this is what we'd be seeing, right? This is the season that we'd be covering for the first time. We've been talking for almost a decade about this team personally and between us, but now we're getting to put it on film and, and we just are looking forward to listening back on it years from now. Right. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'll love to be on the show again. And thanks again for the opportunity. All right. Great. Alec. We'll talk to you another time then and uh, have a, have a Merry Christmas tomorrow and we'll, 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 the uh, episode should be out then. And uh, hopefully folks will get a chance to, to, Listen to it while they're either driving to or driving back from wherever they're going for Christmas. Drive safe, folks. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.